Here I am, send me. That actually comes from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 was a time when the nation was not doing so well. And uh, God asked for some that would go. And Isaiah said, here my Lord, send me. Interesting to observe that what he went into was a very difficult situation. And the Lord told him, he said, not very many people are going to respond. Can you imagine that? A ministry like that, not very many will respond. And Isaiah didn't even question that. He just said, Lord, how long? How long do you want me to do this? See, obedience is really, I mean, success is not measured by the outcome of something, but it's measured by the obedience. And that's what I loved about that song. Well, several weeks ago, we had um, the opportunity to hear the leadership's responsibility or their relationship to the body or to the members. It was a pretty exciting day as we had the opportunity to hear from a number of our elders as they shared different perspectives on what, uh, what the, their ministry was and what they were trying to accomplish and what they do. The one thing that I came away from that day was the keen observation is that these, uh, these men are really committed to the Lord. They love the Lord deeply. And not only that, they love you and they labor hard to determine uh, the best course that honors God and serves you well. And so we appreciate them so much. I, I committed even that day to pray for them more faithfully and to appreciate them and love them more diligently. Well, today we have the joy of now looking at our responsibility to leadership. And uh, when I talk about leadership, specifically I'm talking about uh, the pastoral staff and the board of elders, them collectively. It was about uh, a little over 20 years ago that I returned from vacation, vacation up in Canada, when we could go up there. And uh, when I came back, I listened to my messages, phone messages, and I had uh, several on there, but three were from the same person. And each phone call became more urgent in nature. You could sense that uh, pain that was there. So, of course, I called immediately. I was calling a young lady that I'd just met the month before at a youth camp that I was speaking at, and uh, she was telling me part of her story. But this time, she was telling me that it looks pretty serious. Uh, I may never see my father again, who was a pastor in a foreign country. They were after him because of his religious beliefs and also because he was a refugee in another country, and the country had decided that this, these refugees were calling, causing all of our problems, and do with them as you wish. I felt burdened by that, and I prayed with her, and then God did something in my heart that was kind of unusual for me. Um, it's like, this is what we have to do. And so um, I talked to the Board of Elders, and I said, I think we should call that man whom I have never met and you've never met. I think we should call him to be our pastor here at this church. Now, as surprised as I was to announce that, I was equally surprised to hear these men say with one voice almost immediately, yes, let's do that. 
And then the next Sunday, we announced that to you that we we're going to do that. Now, listen, this had already the, the efforts to get this man and his family out of this country had been going on for months, months, and nothing had materialized. We even had uh, on a senator level, on a federal level, uh, Senator Slade Gordon, who was trying to do something for this family and had been unsuccessful in doing that. And yet, God put it upon our hearts to do something. One member of the church said, I know of a person, attorney, that's in Olympia, and if anybody can help us on this, she can. And so a a delegation of us went down there, and she said, I'll give you an hour. And at the end of that hour, I'll tell you whether I can do anything or not. And she uh, listened to us, and she said, we can do something here. I can't get him home before Christmas. This was in October, but we'll do our best. If not, it'll be right after the first of the year. Now, the amazing thing is, is that when we cast that vision for you, the members, you took hold of that. This is not something that we alone could do. You had to participate in that as well. And you did a marvelous job. It was amazing. You immediately went out and found a place for this family to live. You furnished that place for them to live. You put food in that place. You put clothing in that place. They could be no burden to the, uh, to the community at all, this family that was coming. So we knew that there would be medical needs. You went out and you reached out to the medical community and the medical community agreed to do and help any way they could. This young lady who was a student up at the high school spoke to her fellow classmates and they participated. And I remember the Sunday that we celebrated the fact that they were now here And there were over a thousand people that were gathered up at the high school auditorium. And we celebrated the coming of uh, Anthony and Doris Sackler. What a day that was, huh? Amen. Amen. You see, that was possible because we did that together. We did that together. We labored together on that. What a joyous day that was. We had high school representatives there. We had the attorney there. By the way, the attorney, I don't know if she's a believer or not, but I know she was impacted. She was not at the time, was not a believer, but she did an amazing job. But we all gathered together and celebrated that. And you know something? You haven't stopped celebrating that life. You still continue to support that man and that family. We have been able, with the help of other churches as well, we've been able to build a conference center over in Liberia. The very country that this man fled from, he is now a missionary to and has established a conference center there, and that's because you were willing to participate in that. We're now going to have in February, Lord willing, a conference there that will represent over 150 pastors with Zimzam Global. And by the way, Zimzam Global also was birthed because of your participation. It was Pastor Tom Lotz. It was Pastor Britt uh, and Gail Hemphill. It was this church that helped launch and became a vital part of that. We did that together. It's not the only thing that we've done together. We heard word that a... uh, that a radio ministry that was key to the gospel proclamation in a central part of the closed part of Europe at that time. We heard that that was going to be shut down. 
And immediately we felt the burden of God as leaders and we came to you, the people, and said, we ought to do something about it. And you took a love offering that Sunday and it kept that radio station on the air. It was this church with God's help and your desire to participate that rebuilt a home for a family, a large family that had lost it through a fire. It was you who recently hearing of a pastor who had doubled his family with one birth, (laughs) gave a vehicle to them. And I could go on and on. Do you understand the beauty of what God does? I see Anthony back there. Amen? Amen. You see the beauty of and the blessing of uh, a church fellowship, leader and people, working together for the glory of God. None of that that I mentioned would be possible if it was not for the direct intervention of God, the participation of God in all of that. And let me tell you something. When I overview, when I look over the 40-plus years of ministry that I had, I've only touched on a few things. There are many, many things God has allowed us to do. I remember when one of our missionaries, Mike Chin, in Poland, had serious heart condition, and we heard of that. And we supplied money for him to be air-vacked home so that he could be dealt with. And the list goes on and on. I could tell you about a time when we heard of a need in in Iran, that of a, a, uh, or was it Iraq? I can't remember. One or the other. But it was a, a, a women's clinic that needed to be built, and we sent a delegation over there. We sent people down into Haiti when the, when the earthquake went. We sent some back into New York City when that situation. All of that because we were family working together to see what God would do. Now, as strong as we can be together, we can also be very destructive when we're divided. Moses had, under the God's leadership, a clear vision For 400 years, the people of Israel had looked forward to going into the land of the promised land, the land that flowed with milk and honey is the way it was referred to, a rich place. And Moses was instructed to send spies into the land. The spies were not to go into the land to determine whether or not they could take it. God said, I'm going to give it to you. He simply wanted them to go in and get a report of how glorious that land really was. And they did discover that that was true. But when they came back... Eight of the ten said, there's no way we could do it. And the people rebelled against God and the leaders at that time. And that would be Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. They were the ones that were believing God. And those people listened to the eight spies. And because they would not join together in obedience to God and the leadership of God, they struggled for 40 years in the desert until they died. Not working together is devastating. I remember even in the, uh, in the book of uh, Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, there was that marvelous uh, story about, uh, and Israel was in captivity to the Babylonians. Uh, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of the Babylonians. And it was, it was amazing that he would have such a high position in a foreign government. But the king recognized that the countenance of his, of his cupbearer. And the cupbearer was the one that makes sure that no poison got in the food. Pretty significant job. But his countenance had dropped and the king was concerned. I would be too. 
I want my cupbearer happy. And he said, what's, what's going on? And he said, I've just gotten a report of what's going on in Jerusalem and my heart is broken. I'm grieved for my home country. I'm grieved for my people. And he said, what can I do? How can I help? Nehemiah was commissioned by the king to go down to Jerusalem and sent resources with him. And Nehemiah came to the city and indeed saw the walls were in ruin. It broke his heart. And he walked around through the city at night and trying to ascertain what God was putting in his heart to do. He had told no one about what God was saying. But when this leader got there and knew what God was saying and then addressed the people and told them how the king had given him authority, how the resources had come and how God was for them, he invited the people to join with him in rebuilding the wall. And they said, let's do it. And they did it in record time. See, God has always designed life to be done with him in group with each other. And so we're going to see this morning that in an age in which we're living, in which Satan seemingly has come into churches abroad, the nation, and has brought a sense of division between leadership and fellowship. Now, leadership is not a position of elitism. It's not a position of special privilege. It is, in fact, a position of great responsibility. And they're not different. Leaders aren't different in the sense that they have a closer connection with God than we do. It's just that they've been called. I I entered the pastorate not because it was a vocational choice. I entered the pastorate really kicking and screaming against God with the insistence of God upon my heart that this is what he's called me to do. So they're in those positions, not as a position of popularity or pride or arrogance. They're in the position because God has called them. And together, we as followers, and you know know what I really like about my life right now? I get to preach occasionally I don't serve on the board of elders. I've not been to a meeting since we changed that whole thing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor emeritus, which means I don't know what that means. <clears throat> but you know what I am now? I'm one of you. I'm a member. I'm a follower. I identify with you more keenly than I ever have. So what I want to know is from God, in this age of division and individualism and on and on it goes, I want to know what God wants me to do in relationship to the leadership. This is not what I think. This is what God says. This is what he thinks. I'm going to give you seven things. That sounds like a lot, and already you're concerned. If this is just the introduction, (laughs) did I bring my lunch? (laughs) Or can we do another miracle and multiply a lunch? No, they're going to be very quick bullet points. Some I'll elaborate on more fully. But listen, folks, when I share these with you, if there is ever a time that we needed to take note of these... And maybe you didn't come prepared to write anything down today. And maybe what we can do is uh, publish these seven points for you on the net, on the internet. 
But I, I don't want to just preach to you today and you think, wow, that was interesting. I want us to move towards a course of action. This is not a casual message. This is a message of urgency. And we, the members, play a vital part as to what is going on today. And if there was ever a time that leadership needed you, it is today. So listen very carefully. These things. And you know what I love about these things? They're not complicated. They're not impossible. You can do this. Many of these things I'm already doing and have been doing for a while. All right. Are you with me? Amen. Some of you are with me. Turn with me, and I'm going to look at uh, just a few passages, but I want you to see it from the Word of God. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. Now this is uh, Paul that is writing to the church of Thessalonica, and this church is a new church. And he had been there for only three weeks, but the church had been established And now he's writing to them to encourage them as to the things that they should really be doing. He tried to instruct them about the confusion about the second coming. He talked to them about how deeply he desired to communicate with them because he was concerned about them. But in the midst of all that he was addressing to this young and new church, he said this to them in chapter 5, verse 12. But we request of you, brethren that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Just simply appreciate them. Now this request that is here is not a request that is military in nature. It's not like a mandate. It's like coming alongside a friend and putting your arm around them saying, hey, look, will you do something with me? Will you appreciate the leadership? Well, this appreciate really talks about, it's the, um, it's the idea of not remaining ignorant about who the leaders are and what things they labor with and what things they agonize over But he's saying, will you come alongside of these people and begin to know them? Know what they labor over. Know what they think. Know what they do. Know how they go about doing life. You appreciate them, respect them in that process. See, I don't think, and the reason is not just because these people are suffering from a, a, a a lack of ego or uh, some kind of downcast spirit. Why, why do I want to appreciate them? And he says here, <clears throat> they, have, they have charge over you. Now, that is not in the sense uh, uh, that you are lording it over someone. It's uh, because Jesus says in Matthew that my true servants don't lord it over others as if the Gentiles do, commanding of them. They have charge over you, which means they have a huge responsibility given to them by God to make sure that you, God's people, are well 
cared for. And you need to know how they labor. You know, I could tell you, for example, how I've labored over this message. This just didn't come to me last night after the Huskies finally won the game. Before God, in the Word, carefully trying to understand, God, what do you want to say to these people? Do you know how audacious it is for someone to stand up here and say, thus saith the Lord? Or to say, this is what God means? This is, has been referred to in the past as a holy desk. This doesn't belong to the pastoral staff. This is God's platform. We dare not use this for self-interest. We dare not use this for a political, popular thought. This is a place in which God's word comes forth for your edification. And I know for a fact that the pastors that we have right now labor hard to ensure that they're saying, this is what God has said. And this is what he means. And, and if you see that, they have charge over you, which means they have the responsibility to ensure that you're always doing well. And it says, and they give you instruction. They labor hard to give you instruction. Well, if there is ever a time that a clarion voice needs to come forth, if there's been any time in my lifespan, any age which I've lived, that a clear voice needs to be sounded in the midst of all of the other voices that are being sounded forth in our culture, in this age of self-centeredness, in this age of self-sufficiency, in this age of restlessness in a me generation, we need to know what God wants us to do. And I'm afraid too many of us get our marching orders from the horizon rather from that which we try to declare, thus saith the Lord. You appreciate them because they want to be that clarion voice, that, that clear declaration of this is where we ought to be going. This is what we ought to be doing. Appreciate them. Well, he goes on in the next verse. Oh, by the way, before I get off appreciating them, I could just hit one note on that. You know, one way you could do that is uh, it's hard to get to know people on Sunday morning. Uh, it, it, just uh, in, invite them over to your house. Don't roast them on Sunday. Bring them over for roast. <laughs> and talk to them. Say, tell me how your week's been. What did you struggle with? How's your family doing? How's your quiet time going? How have you been laboring before the Lord? Thank you for the time you shared the word with me. It was a couple of weeks ago that, that Pastor Aaron was preaching, and, and you know, I might as well have just given him a whip. Beat me. Because he spoke so clearly from the word of God. And I listened to that, and it changed the course of my direction. That's what they labor to do. It's not an entertainment committee that they're involved with. They're not here to do that. They're really here to speak to your heart, to speak to your soul, to speak to your emotion, to speak to your will, so that through the word of God and God of the word, your life will be transformed. 
That's, that's not an easy job. I uh, like what um, one man speaking to a pastor, and this young man came up and he said, Pastor, I think I, think I want to be a pastor. And the pastor looked at him and he said, Son, can you do anything else? Because <laughs> you really don't know what you're asking for here. I heard one pastor down in California recently when I was down there at the church and and the pastor stood up there and he said, I am so tired of making announcements where 50% of the people hate me and 50% of the people love me. He said, I want to declare to you a message of hope and peace and joy. Number two, next verse. And he says in verse 13, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You know, notice this. They diligently labor, and now because of their work, he said live in peace with one another, but esteem them very highly. This word esteem means to hold them in high regard, to prize them accordingly, to be overflowing in abundance. I don't think any of our elders or pastors will suffer if you love them a lot. I recall hearing years and years ago of a pastor who was in a church, had been in the church for a while, and he thought, I'm not making any impact. I don't think I'm making any difference here. And he decided to resign, and he did. That night, they gave him a farewell dinner. And during the dinner, person after person stood up and said, Oh, pastor, don't you know? Don't, don't you remember? Don't you know? He went home that evening talking to his wife, and he said, You know, if I'd known all of that, I don't think I would ever quit. Number three. Support your pastor. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. First Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Again, I'm going to the passage because I don't want you to think that I'm making this stuff up. It said the elders, First Timothy 5, 17, the elders who rule over you are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who, here it is again, who work hard at preaching and teaching. I could give testimony to my own life, not to boast, but to give testimony. I worked hard at teaching and preaching. And I know for a fact that our senior pastor, our lead pastor, works hard. I know that Pastor Tom and Pastor Corey work hard at proclaiming that. But he says they're to be considered of double honor. And it goes on to verse 18, given an illustration. He said, for you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. All that simply means is make sure that you're taking care of your leaders. And particularly now, he's talking about those who do the teaching. And just make sure their needs are met. 
And, you know, I have to say that in my experience, you've been so faithful in that. You've been so considerate in that. And I think you do want to take care. And there's many ways you take care of that. Uh, Sometimes you bring uh, fresh produce out of your garden by the pastor's house. Sometimes you give him a gift certificate. And sometimes, like our pastor Aaron this weekend, somebody gave him an opportunity for he and his wife to be away in celebration of the anniversary and a place for them to stay. That was just, that just took care of them. Um, You've been good at that. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Uh, Don't assume that they're okay. You never know. Has something unexpectedly come up? Just simply ask the question. Are your needs being met? Is there anything you need physically? Uh, Can I come by and help you paint your house? Can I come by and help you work on your car? Don't ask me to do that with you, but some people that understand what's going on with cars. But he says, uh, they're working hard. You treat them well. So we're to appreciate them. We're to esteem them. We're to make sure that their needs are met. This is a rather rather unusual one. You turn over further just a little bit in your Bible there to Hebrews. And here we find this uh, in chapter 13, a rather unusual explanation here. Verse 7. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who lead you, who spoke the word of God to you, And considering the result of their way of life, imitate their faith. That means uh, these leaders, our elders and our pastors, are living a life that is above reproach. Should be, if not, we'll talk about that in our last point. But we, we ought to be able to say, you know something, Pastor? I want to be just like you. You know, Paul had the audacity to say, follow me. Now, the reason he could say that with such boldness is because he knew that every part of his being was following God. Now, we don't just imitate the dress style and the mannerisms or the, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses. That's not the idea. The idea is, and he says it specifically, Watch what they're doing, and then you say, God, that's what I want to do. Now, when he talks about this, notice how he describes it there. Remember those who who lead you. Now, they spoke the word of God to you, and they not only spoke the word of God to you, but they put the word of God in application to their lives. Now, our leaders are not infallible. They make mistakes. We make mistakes. This may be a shock to you, but you make mistakes. And be as gracious to them as you are to yourself. But here he says, not imitate them in terms of their unique personality. Imitate them as to their faith. Now, what does that faith mean? Several things here. First of all, It's the things they believe by firm persuasion or firm conviction. These are people that are not just saying something. They believe it. Imitate that. Believe the word of God. These are people who have surrendered to that truth because they believe it and they know that it's transformational in nature. 
These are people who have had their lives transformed by that truth, that faith. There are people, simply saying this, there are people that are living out their faith before you for you to see. I have often said this, that pastors live in glass houses. And I say, you're welcome to come and press your nose up against my glass house. At least have the courtesy when you're done to wipe the smudges off. But you're welcome. What am I saying by that? You're welcome to look at my life. You're welcome to ask me questions about my life. You you should have conviction that what I'm saying I'm also seeking by the power of the Holy Spirit and the the glory of God. I'm seeking to live that way for God's glory. Number five. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. I love this, that he's teaching this new church, these new things here. Here he just kind of gives a general statement, but I'm making application to leaders here. Brethren, this is Paul who is speaking in verse 25. Brethren, pray for us. (laughs) I love that. That's just simple. Please, Paul says, please pray for us. He's the one that's writing the letter. So when he says pray for us, it's those that are walking with Paul and ministering with Paul. He says, just pray for us. I've tried to make it a habit to pray for our pastors and our elders every day by name. I don't always do that. Some days I get busy with my selfish agenda. I've got to make sure I get the lawn cut. I haven't got time to pray for the pastors. <laughs> You ever, you ever struggle that way? Or you just think that they can just do what they do. Have you ever heard missionaries that have come back and said, I just want to thank you for all your prayers. I couldn't do what I was doing. It hadn't been for you. I remember listening to um, uh, uh, one of our missionaries, uh, Dave Waters, and he, I was just months before he died. And I was saying to him, I said, David, I said, uh, when you reflect upon your work, what do you think? He said, well, I just wonder how much of that I just did on my own giftedness. I said, well, brother, I can tell you for a fact it was not your giftedness. And I'm going to tell you exactly why you were as successful as you were is because this woman, Nancy Waters, is one of the most powerful prayer warriors I've ever known. She prayed you to success. I believe that. Can we pray our pastors and elders to success? Can we just pray for them? Number six. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. You know what I love about the first, the several of those are in there. They're called the pastoral epistles. But in this thirteen seventeen, here it reads: Obey your leaders and submit to them. And then he gives the reasons why: For they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. 
so that they may do this with joy, not groaning. For this would be helpful for you. Now this word obey and submit to your leaders is, means as they have we've already established, as they're laboring in the word to proclaim to you the mind and the will of God, you should obey that and you should submit to that. We're not talking about lording it over you. We're not talking about selfishly trying to declare a position. We're talking about those who are your leaders who labor long. I would say that if there's ever been a problematic area in the history of the United States, this is it. We are not an obeying, submitting people. We're a rebellious people. Our whole revolution was based upon that. We who live in the West pride ourselves in being individualist, at least in the Northwest. I'm not claiming that Southern part anymore. John Stott put it well. He said, we live between two worlds and on the, as pastors. On the one hand, we look at the ideal, that's God. And on the other hand, we look at the ordeal and we stand in between here trying to proclaim the word of God to this ordeal over here, hoping that we can make some sense out of that. And the only way that there will ever be a sense of peace and balance is through obedience and submission. Seldom in our history has there been in terms of a world witness, such a self-conscious revolt towards authority. In fact, even as you read those words, obey and submit, are those pleasant words to you? (laughs) Kind of rear up your head and you'll say, maybe I'll check it out and see. And maybe I will, maybe I won't. Who is then the authority? You. I had a conversation recently with a person who now has decided that all of the Bible is not trustworthy. I said, well, how did you come to that? Well, I was listening to this person, and they said this and this and this part is not trustworthy. I said, so, oh, they are your authority now. Oh, no, they saw where I was going. No, no, they're not my authority. I said, well, who then is your authority? He said, I listen to what they say, and then I decide what is right. I said, so then you're the sovereign authority of the universe, and you determine what is right. It's not the word of God, it's as you declare it to be. They didn't have a response to that, because the only response to that is, you're right. I'm an arrogant, self-centered, self-directed fool. Or I'm really one who wants to follow the Word of God. This meism, this this age of uh, doubting truth in this new millennial age that we're living in, this postmodern world, 
This one, there is no sense of absolute truth. Let me tell you something, friends. If there is no absolute truth, and if there is no declaration to that, and if there is no submission to that and obedience to that, the fruit of that is chaos. And I'm witnessing in the world that I'm living in right now, chaos. Because I, I didn't know that there were so many authorities, so broad spread, with such a limited understanding that speaks with such absoluteness. You ever notice that? I don't know if we should wear masks or not. If I listen, I don't know if I should have the vaccination or not. And let me tell you something, those are not issues that are going to be issues for me. The issue would be, can I proclaim the gospel? But we have, I tell you, we have such authorities on that. Have you noticed that? See, you people of independent Bible church, you miss out on what I grew up with. I grew up as a Baptist. And a Baptist was congregational rule. And we knew how to fight. We knew how to play the political party. Well, it says submit there. You know, I am fairly confident that our board of elders and our pastors deliberately meet together twice a month to try to figure out how to make life difficult for us. Isn't that an asinine statement? Do you know how hard they labor trying to determine the mind of God for the best for you May I say to you that when the devil gets us sidetracked by minor, unimportant issues, we miss what is most important. We are the agents of God with a message of God to proclaim deliverance for people that are lost. And if we talk more about And we're lost. Let me go to my last one because I meddled there long enough. I will say this. The reason that we should obey them is because they're watching over your souls. That's what it says. They're watching over your souls. And you may think, well, it's my job to make sure I keep them straight. I'm going to tell you something. You are nothing. You think, whoa, what's a thing to say to me? You are nothing compared to where these men will stand. They will give an account to God. To answer to you would be a delight. But I will finally one day stand before God and I say, God, did I do, did we do what you ask us to do? And as we sang this morning, will I hear, well done, a good and faithful servant? And I also hear that when I obey 
And when I listen, I'm talking about not their personal preferences and not those things. I'm talking about the best of their ability to lead us in the way that God is directing us and I obey and I submit. Guess what? It brings joy to the leadership. That's what the passage says. Just like when we did some of those other things that I talked about, what joyous days they were. You know, when I was a kid growing up, we, we would kill chickens, and then one of the unpleasant parts of the job was to uh, pick the feathers off the chicken. Necessary, but we didn't like it. It seems to me that it seems to be that we, as members, me there with you, we become specialists in picking at everything. And I'm wondering how important that thing is that you're picking at. Some of you are out there thinking, man, I'm so glad that Pastor Mike wore dress pants today with a nice sweater. And then you were thinking, why did Pastor Corey give his announcements and he had jeans on? Let me tell you something. All of eternity rests upon the answer to that question. (laughs) Get something bigger to think about, will you? The issues that we think about these days are dictated by the horizon, and God has called us to a higher calling than that. We're to talk about and celebrate the things of God. And to think about this, I labored hard is what I was going to say to you on those things. But I don't like it when I pick at things. I can be as critical as the best of you. But I cannot criticize and appreciate and esteem at the same time. It's impossible. I cannot pray for the leaders. Let me get to my last one because I probably got to meddling there. There is a place in which we hold leaders accountable. 1 Timothy Chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. This is the pastoral epistles that are written here, instructions. Here it says, listen, as we read this. Do not accept an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Though who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. This has twofold advantage. Number one... It does mean that we can speak to leadership about their lifestyle. And we ought to know it well enough that we can speak to it. But I want you to see something here. This is not if you observe something, you run over to your gossip huddle and talk to them about him or them. This is killing the church. I'm not this one. Yes, this one, but not just this one. It is killing the church, this gossip. I don't like it. Did you hear what the elders did last week? And why in the world could they do that? What do they think they are? There's just such, uh, act like they're arrogant elitists, and they tell us this, and they tell us that. And, and then, yeah, I don't like that either. And what don't you like? And I don't like this, and I don't like that. And man, do I feel edified. You go directly to them. 
and you speak and you say, please, can you help me understand what's going on with that? And I'm going to say that probably when I address this subject of this horizontal gossip that goes on, that probably every one of us are guilty of that. And I don't think it brings honor to God, and I certainly don't think it brings unity to the church, and I don't think it edifies each other or the church. You, and it's not, listen to this. <laughs> this is three people that have observed the same thing, and they go. This is not a coalition of gossipers that go. This is a, the people, and they go, and they ask. Now listen, there are two levels of protection here. Number one, the pastor is protected from those who just simply don't like him and are trying to get an agitation horizontally against him. Because it must come with credibility in the witness of two or three. And secondly, it protects the church because you have a way that says we ought to be, have leadership that is honorable. And if we see something that's not honorable, even sinful, we ought to confront them on that. I would want that in my life. I would want people to come and speak to me. I don't want to willfully, blindly be disobedient to the Word of God. Give me the opportunity to hear what you say. Give me the opportunity to repent of my sin. Give me the opportunity to be restored so that I can be a fit vessel for the Master's use. Give me that privilege. I didn't mention to you that I love you. Did I say that earlier? (laughs) Let me tell you something. So, the leader of all leaders, Jesus Christ himself, handpicked men, said, follow me. Now, that's the essence of what it's all about. Follow Jesus. And to the most deepest, darkest hour of his soul. There in Gethsemane, he asked his followers, will you watch and pray with me? And they fell asleep. Will you watch and pray with me? He said. And it was in the agony of his soul. Will you watch and pray with me? He said a third time. And these who did not watch and these who did not pray One denied the Lord, one betrayed the Lord, and all forsook the Lord. What a failure in fellowship. What a miserable testimony. I have failed miserably at times as a follower. And what I'm most thankful for is the grace of God that says, I'm going to give you another chance. And after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and after the filling of the Holy Spirit, it was Jesus himself who said to these losers, these failures, go out as revolutionary forces and change the world. Preach the gospel. And they did. And you, sitting here today as a redeemed person, are a living testimony to their faithfulness. Generation to generation. Thomas, who was the doubter, you remember the follower? How would you like to have a follower follower that's a doubter? Even after the resurrection, unless I see your hands and see your sight, I won't believe. But oh, Lord, my Lord and my God. And he fell down and believed. Thomas sat on a course from where he was 
going eastward. And everywhere he went, he proclaimed the gospel. And I know for a fact he got as far as the southern part of India because I was at the place where he established a gospel witness there. Thomas is held in high esteem in the, in the southern part of India because he went there walking, proclaiming the gospel. Don't you love the fact that God, in his grace and mercy, gives me and gives you, and you may have discovered this morning, an area of failure in fellowship, and he gives you the opportunity to say, will you start all over again? Oh, God, I want to. I'm so ashamed of me. I want to start over. So as you go through those uh, seven things, and I want you to just examine your hearts, because I don't want this just simply to be uh, a, 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 an opportunity for us to go to the woodshed and we feel better because we've some kind of done some penance and we paid for that. I want us to be transformational. I want you to look at these things as I carefully mention them again. I ask the same questions of me. Lord, have I appreciated those who labor for me and for your glory? Have I appreciated them? If I have not, Lord, I confess that to you and I ask your forgiveness. Lord, have I held them in high esteem? Have I come alongside to know them well and to celebrate their commitment unto you? And if I have not, Lord, I ask your forgiveness and purpose to do otherwise. Have I made sure that their physical needs are met, Lord? Have I asked them? Do you need anything? Is there something I have that I can give to you that would advance the cause of Christ in your life? Then I want to do that, Lord, here. And if I haven't, I confess that, and I'll purpose to do better. Have I ever really said in my heart, Lord, that I love these leaders, and I want to be like them in faith? I want to be firmly convicted and follow through with transformation of my life. Have I ever even told them that I appreciate the diligence that they have? If I haven't, Lord, I confess that and I repent. Have I been willing to pray for them? Have I talked more about them to others than I have to you, Lord? I confess my sin, Lord. And I promise by your help I'll do better. Have I been willing to obey them Have I made it more joyful for them? Have I made it better for us as a group? If I haven't, Lord, I confess that and I ask your forgiveness. And Lord, have I never spoken directly to them about concerns that I have or confusion that I might have? And I've actually talked about them instead of to them. I'm sorry, Lord. I confess. I repent. And I'll do better by your help and for your glory. Lord, we want to do all of these things because we know that a church that is united with membership and leadership 
can do in a, in by your power and by your source great and glorious things that cause us to rejoice together. That's where we desire to be, Lord. And I believe that's where you want us to be, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 